you would take out your Bible and turn to the book of Mark, the book of Mark chapter number two. And I hope and pray tonight that you have with you some pen and paper to take a note or two as we explore God's word together. Mark chapter two, we'll go ahead and read all 12 verses and then we'll come back to verse number five and verse number 10. But Mark chapter two, let's read this story. And again, he entered in Capernaum after some days and it was noise that he was in the house and straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they laid down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned with themselves, he said unto them, why reason ye these things in your heart? Whether it is easier to say to the sick of palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk, but that ye may know that the son of man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of palsy, I say unto thee, arise, take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose up the bed and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so very much for our time together. God, thank you for your holy word. God, for the truth that's in your word. And Father, tonight as we study and as we take apart these verses and we Think upon what God has done for us. Lord, we pray that tonight that you would receive all the glory and all the honor for what's said. Father, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. And Father, that you would protect my mouth, my lips from saying anything that would harm one of these or bring reproach to the name of Jesus. God, be with us. Use the Holy Scripture, God, to change our lives tonight. God, we believe in the capability of thy word to do great and mighty things in the hearts of men. God, we ask that you would do this according to your will. In Jesus' name, we all pray together. Amen and amen. How many here tonight have heard or read this story before of the man sick with palsy that was lowered into where Jesus was from the roof? Will you raise your hand? Almost everyone here. If you've not ever read Mark chapter 2 and taken all that apart, I invite you to go back in your Bible study this week and explore this chapter. This is an incredible story. There's a lot here. But there's two verses I want to focus on tonight in this chapter. 
Verse number five says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And then in verse number 10, but that ye may know that the son of man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Verse number five, verse number 10. Brother Carlin, I'm still feeding back pretty bad in those monitors if you would help me out there. Thank you, sir. So verse number five, verse number 10 are our focus in this chapter. This man that was sick of palsy, we instantly go to his palsy as the biggest problem in his life, that he has a sickness, an issue that needs to be healed. It's affected his whole body. And sometimes we focus so much on the palsy that we forget what happened in verse number five. When Jesus looked at this man and said, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. These two verses are very, very important for Jesus' ministry going forward because of what was done and what was said in front of so many people. Jesus has not only said to the man that you are forgiven, but he has also healed this man of his sickness. But what happened in that house, what Jesus did, it bothered the Pharisees and the scribes so much, Not they didn't even pay attention to what he did with the palsy, but they were so fixed on the fact that Jesus would look at this man and say, your sins be forgiven thee. They could not believe, they so much as called it in their hearts as blasphemy. But what Jesus was doing in front of these people, in front of his disciples and all of these witnesses, was he was saying out loud in Capernaum, I have the authority to forgive sin. Let me back that up. Jesus is making the declarative statement that I have the authority and the power to forgive sin. Man is sick with palsy in this story. It is a problem and it's an issue and it's sad and I hate that he's paralyzed and I'm thankful for the friends that had the faith to go and to take him and get him the help that he needed. But what we need to remember is that man's greatest need tonight is not to be healed from palsy. Man's greatest need tonight is to be forgiven of sin. Forgiveness is the greatest need of every man, every woman, and every child. It's not purpose, it's not identity, it's not even the peace that you need the most. What you need tonight is the forgiveness of your sin. Every man that's born, every woman that's born is born with a sinful nature. It's just who we are. You say, well, I'm not really that bad of a person. If you were born, you took air in your lungs and you've lived your life, you are a sinner. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And man's born with that nature deep inside of him. You can't escape it. You can't go away from it. It's just who we are as people. And with this sinful nature, it must be penalized. God is too holy to turn his back away from sin. If he did, he would not be God. And because of this sin debt that must be paid, it puts the emphasis on why Jesus is so important to humanity. But our unforgiven sin is what sends us to eternity in hell without God. 
It's not just the sin alone. It's the unforgiven sin that sends man into eternity, into hell without God for eternity. It condemns the man. And if you're here tonight, you're saved and your sins have been forgiven, then you will never think about this. You will never ever know what it means to feel the wrath, the fury, the judgment, and all that is waiting for those who have not their sins forgiven in hell. You'll never know what the wrath of God truly is. You'll never know what separation from God truly is. Those who die and they go to hell without their sins forgiven by God will forever suffer the consequences of their sin because of who God is and because of who we are. Now, let me pause right there and say this. Thank God I'm forgiven tonight. Praise the name of the Lord. I stand here as a saved man forgiven of my sins. Praise God for that. And if you're here tonight and you're not saved and you've not had your sins forgiven, this will be an uncomfortable study, but there's good news that you too can be forgiven. And as I explored the forgiveness that's needed of the man that's sick with palsy, I come to this statement in my, in my heart, this place in my heart. Trinity Baptist Church, as we move forward, as we go on, as we do what God's called us to do and be who God's called us to be, even as culture changes, even as our country falls apart right before our very eyes, and as we center our focus and our attention on the gospel of Jesus Christ and propagating the gospel with everything that we have, we must have as many people in this community, in this congregation, who are ready to face the fight of what's coming for the church in America. We need every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every teenager to sell out to the idea that you're needed in the kingdom of God. There's work to be done. The bottom line is there is a city, there is a county, there is a school, there is a workplace, there is a grocery store, there is a factory. There are so many places we come in contact with on a daily basis. And the sad news is that it is chalk full of people who have no hope. They have zero hope. They are desperate for the next fix. They're searching for something to plug a hole that they will never fill unless Jesus does something radical on the inside of their heart and soul. Our city is full of those people who are lost and who are dying and going to hell with no hope. We have inside of us the hope of Jesus Christ. Hopefully our mouths are proclaiming, our actions are showing because of what Jesus did for us. And remember this, if you're saved here tonight, David, you and I, we claim to be saved Christian men. And if we are those men, then we need to remember that one day, one point in our life, we used to be men that were lost and undone without Jesus. And then put into perspective the thousands of people just within a two square mile of this campus that need the good news that changed your life. Jesus changed me forever. 
And I never, ever want to roll over on my back and forget the goodness and the mercy that God showed me when I did not deserve it. But I also want as many people around me and in my city and in my uh, church even to go to heaven with me. There are people who need the Lord desperately that need the hope that you have. But what if, what if in these end times, and I believe with all my heart, you would never be able to convince me otherwise that we are living in the end times. The Lord could come back before I get to my next point. I believe that. But what if in these end times where the gospel message of Jesus Christ is so vital and so important what if the devil in his wickedness and in his plan to send as many people to hell as possible could distract the church of the living God, true believers, to be so confounded, confused, hurt, angered, guilt, and ashamed that they become useless in what God called them to do and what God called them to be, to be salt and to be light. Remember, we've said it hundreds of times. Jesus said, if you belong to me, you are salt, you are light. It's our job. The Great Commission is not just for pastors and preachers and missionaries. The Great Commission, the orders given to the church from Jesus was to go tell as many people as possible. But what if Satan could distract the people, keep them off the field, if you will? 2 Corinthians 2.11 says this. Paul's talking about what Satan is doing to work against his ministry and even in his life. And he says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. In other words, Christian, Satan has a blueprint. He has a plan to keep you injured and sidelined off of the field of what your purpose is for Jesus' sake. And if he could do that to everyone here tonight, it would be the greatest victory for him not to keep people from going to heaven, but to keep the people who are going to heaven from telling other people who need to know about how to go to heaven from being salt and from being light, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. But what keeps us off the field? What keeps us on the injured list? What keeps Christ out of our mouths? What keeps our actions from showing that of the love of Christ? It's very simple. It's the age-old problem of sin. It's the age-old problem of sin. This is a tender subject for Christians. But Christians, though they have been saved, can still sin in their life. We are still waiting for the glorification of our new bodies. I am saved, I am sanctified, I'm separated, I'm awaiting heaven, but I am not yet glorified. Unfortunately, when I woke up this morning, I woke up with this flesh that's at war with what Christ did on the inside. And it's wicked. And Isaiah said, Jeremiah said that eh, the heart's desperately wicked and deceitful above all. That's what we live with every morning. That's who's attached to us every day. Christians can still sin. You're attached to the flesh. Your list as a Christian of sin in your life should be very short 
And it should be very infrequent. And when you got saved, God forgave you for the penalty of the sin. Think about that. For the wages of sin is death. So if God forgives the penalty of sin, how does he do that? By giving you eternal life through and by Christ Jesus. Now I want you to listen closely. I want to speak in a way that everyone can understand. But when you got saved, every sin that you had ever committed was forgiven. Every sin that I ever committed, Brother Charlie, it was forgiven the moment I got saved. Not only was the sin that I had committed forgiven, but the sin that I would commit after salvation was forgiven. Every single solitary failure after my adoption was forgiven the moment I got saved. Every single solitary sin was forgiven. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For he hath made him to be sin for us. God allowed his only darling precious son to become the filth of humanity on my cross and looked upon it just like in the song and said, that's the justification for Winston. He does not have to die and go to hell. I will forgive him because of what Jesus did on the cross. And when I got saved, every sin I'd committed and every sin I would commit after the point of my election, I was forgiven. Praise God for that. The devil wants nothing to do with this truth entering in your ears and into your heart. The devil's plan, the blueprint for the church in 2021 is to keep Christians right on the edge of where they should be and where they shouldn't be and to be as close to the world as possible and to commit as many sins against the Father as possible to keep you off the field doing what God has called you to do and who he's called you to be. And when God saved me, he saved me knowing full well that I was a human being he saved me knowing full well that I had human flesh with human tendencies. He's God. He knew everything about me from the very beginning. And yet, in grace and in mercy, knowing everything I would ever say, everything I would ever do, everything I would ever think, he bestowed mercy and grace upon me. The sin that you've committed after your salvation has been paid for has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the perfect sacrifice of Christ. That's the whole picture that we're missing. We work ourselves into some sort of religious exercise that if I pray hard enough or long enough or I do X, Y, and Z, then maybe I'll get back in the good graces of what it means to be a child of God. When the sacrifice was perfect, the salvation was a perfect finished work. There's no redos, there's no buybacks, there's no second or third or fourth times in salvation. Once you are saved, you are saved. That's why the grace and the mercy of God is so great and so powerful and really hard for us to understand. Once I'm a blood relative, there's no changing 
my relation to the Father. I am a child of God. Now, does this give us an open season on sin? Does this give us an excuse to live like hell and the world and the devil and feed the flesh whatever it wants, whenever it wants, however it wants? I'll do what I want to do when I want to do it. No, that is rebellion and that person does not know Christ and Christ does not know that person. It's not a free ticket to go do what you want to do. The heart of a Christian is I've been changed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to please him and do the best that I can. I want to repent of my old ways and go in the opposite direction that I was going when Jesus saved me. And when we get saved, we are regenerated in Christ. I love those old words that the early church used to use. We've oversimplified some of the things that are available for us as Christians and we've robbed ourselves of power, understanding just what it is Christ did in us. The old church used to talk about regeneration all the time. You go to the old books in the 1860s, 1890s, and regeneration is in every one of them. The regenerated spirit, the new conscience that the Lord puts inside of you, it's like an upgrade. He takes the old out and puts a new one in. This conscience that's inside of us, it doesn't come from us. The Bible calls it the still, small voice. It's this inner indicator. It's this internal voice that acts as a guide to what's right and to what's wrong. And when you are saved, when you are regenerated, that's put inside of you. You're no longer the bastard child. You're now a son of the most high God. And because of that, you will conduct yourself differently. Praise God for that truth. And as a Christian, when you sin, your conscience, what God regenerated, what he restored in you, what he put in brand new, it will engage itself. And with the sin comes guilt and shame. It's guilt because you disappointed God. That's not in your nature anymore. That's not supposed to be your action anymore. You've been saved. You've been changed. And with that comes guilt and shame. And it's shame because you know better. How many times as a child did we hear our mothers and our fathers say, you know better than to do that. A Christian, a true believer knows better. That's why you will drive yourself miserable being outside of God's will, living in open sin, because every time you do something that goes against who you are, it comes with guilt and shame. It's a wonderful system that God's put in place with salvation. I can remember as a kid living on Clinton Avenue. I talk about Clinton Avenue all the time. Must have been some of the happiest days of my life. I love it. But on Clinton Avenue, we had a little shed. It's now like five houses up there. But we had a little shed behind the house. And it had in the door just a few little windows. And I thought I was Greg Maddox, John Smoltz, and Tom Glavin all in one. And I thought I had a 95 mile an hour fastball. 
And then the neighbor boy, God love him, I probably broke two or three of his teeth, bloodied his nose a couple times, throwing the ball as hard as I possibly could at him. I was kind of mean to him, said, you're going to be my catcher. I need to go find that kid, apologize. But we were playing and I was pitching. He was catching the ball. And I threw the ball wild high to the right and that ball broke one of the windows in that shed door. I'll never forget it. My heart stopped. Oh, the fear that came. My father is going to be very, very upset. I've broke a window. And instead of me going to my dad right then and there and saying, dad, guess what? I broke a window. I'm so sorry. I, I really am. I'm, I was just throwing. We were playing, having fun. I'm I'm so sorry that I broke that window. No, I had to make it 10 times better and go tell him that I didn't do it. The neighbor kid that I was playing catch with did it and that he just kind of ran off after he did it. I don't know why he would do that, dad. And I made it worse. But this principle is so simple, but it applies to us as Christians. It would have been so much better for me to go to my daddy and say, daddy, I broke the window than to do what I did. It would have been so much easier, Will, for me to say, I messed up, I'm sorry, please, I will do better next time and maybe not throw the ball in front of the windows. I will learn, Daddy, I promise. Knowing my father the way I do, listen, knowing my father the way I do, if I would have gone to him with that broken spirit and said, I'm sorry for breaking the window, knowing my father and knowing how he is, the punishment would have been so much less than me going and lying and trying to spin a story to not get caught. You see, my dad knew what had happened. He knew who threw that ball. And correction had to come. Correction will always come for a child who's disciplined by his father. It will always come. But it doesn't always have to come at such a great price. Sometimes there is great benefit in realizing who you are and going to the heart of your father and saying, I'm sorry for messing up. Would you forgive me? Would you help me? And would you please have mercy on me not to break fellowship? I don't want to break fellowship, Dad. I want to be able to sit at the dinner table and enjoy supper. I want to fellowship with you and be with you. You know what my dad would have done? Son, it's okay. Don't do it again, but it's all right. We're going to be okay. You're my son. We'll buy a new window. But instead, I construed a lie, made it worse. And when you go with God, when you go to God with that kind of heart, what you're going and doing is you're easing your conscience. You're cleansing your conscience. Your father already knows what you did. He has already forgiven you because he is your father. But the broken fellowship, the dirty conscience of doing something against your father will put you in a place of isolation every single time. I told that lie, I made it worse, and instantly I don't want to be around my dad. I don't want to be near him. I don't want to be near my mom because she's going to talk about things that dad's doing or what he wants to do. 
And instantly I run and I try to find a place to hide. That's exactly what we do as Christians. God's already forgiven you the moment he saved you. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't have to be dirty. You can be clean. And immediately this consequence of sin after salvation will always be that it voids your boldness. It voids any confidence that you have with God. And you do not want to get caught in a place, in a position in life where your heart is breaking and someone's at a hospital or a funeral home or something terrible has happened and you've lost your boldness and you've lost your confidence because of petty sin. It's a horrible place to be. When the hour comes of emergency, when the hour comes of heartache and heartbreak and woe and distress, I want to be able to be confident and bold with my father and say, I need help. I need you to come and help me. I need you. But instantly when you sin, the broken fellowship, the confidence leaves, the boldness leaves. I want you to see how God responds to the sin of those who belong to him. Isaiah 43:25 it's on your screen. Isaiah 43:25 the voice of the Lord I even I I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake and will not remember thy sins. Let me read that again. I, even I, God, I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember thy sins. God chooses not to remember your sins. He's God. He knows everything about everybody, every place, every time. But because he loves you, because you belong to him, he says, I choose not to hold it against you. I choose to forget your sin. Isaiah 44, 22 says this, I have blotted out as thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me for I have redeemed thee. Come out of your guilt and your shame. Your sin has been forgiven. Come home, you've been redeemed. The forgiveness has happened. Salvation has occurred. Come to me. I will forgive you. We are go back into fellowship and you can move on as a redeemed, blood-bought, born-again Christian, full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost, with boldness to go before your Father. And that's exactly what Trinity Baptist needs desperately right now in this moment. What your children need are parents who have boldness with God, who have access with God on a regular basis. Not a knee-jerk reaction to the woes of this life. Colby, where are you, brother? Put on your backpack and come here for just a second. I need you to help me. In Spanish, we call that a mochila. Venga con tu mochila. Colby is going to represent God. And I want to read this final verse and then we'll be done with our study. But I want you as Christians, 
really to get this, how God views your sin as one of his children. Now listen, do not confuse what I'm saying. If you're here tonight and you're lost, you don't have the peace of salvation, you must be saved for this to apply to you. Men who do not have their sin forgiven by God shall be separated in eternity with God. You will never experience heaven. That's the truth of God's word. But this verse in Isaiah 38, 17 It says, behold, this is Hezekiah. He's so sick. I won't get into all this, but Hezekiah is dying. He's sick. Things are terrible. He thinks these are the last few moments in his life. And he's recounting everything that God had done for him. And look what he says about his sin, what God had done for him. He says, behold, for peace, I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Hezekiah said this. He said, my sin as God's child, everything that I had done, everything that I have ever said or done or been, God put it behind his back. Well, here's my arrogance. Get this backpack full of my sin. Matter of fact, let's just label this. Winston's sin. Here is my anger. There's all the anger. And then here I'm going to put my lust. All this sin. It's so great and so new. All this sin. All this sin. Every sin I have ever committed is represented on this table. My arrogance, my disrespect, my lying, my cheating, my stealing, my murder, every sin I've ever committed is represented on this table. And God said he took the sin and put it behind his back so that when God looks at me, everywhere I go, follow me with your eyes, everywhere I go, no matter if I go over here or if I go over there, God does not see the sin because it's behind his back so that when God looks at Winston Parish, all he sees is royal red blood because I've been saved. I've been forgiven. Do not allow Satan to keep you from being who God called you to be because of sin that Christ already paid for. Come home. Get back at the table. Be bold for Christ. He said as far as the east is from the west. Thank you, Colby. My sin behind his back. Miss Angie, help me. We'll pray and we'll close. We'll go home. My heart is that we'd be bold, church. My heart is that this church would be a church known for men, women, and teenagers that are full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost, who are clean, holy before God to the best of their ability, and easily manipulated by the work of God. That he does not have to beat you over the head to get your attention. But that we remain tender. Easily beckoned by his call. 
And that if you are here tonight and you are saved, but there's something in your life that has broken fellowship between you and your God, do not leave tonight the same way you came. Refuse, draw a line in the sand. Say, I belong to the most high God. And I refuse to carry the weight of the sin that God's already put behind his back. It's like a slave going back and putting on chains voluntarily. It makes no sense. We must live in freedom and in the peace and the power of Almighty God. We must understand the great sacrifice that Jesus made on my cross when he became my sin and forgave me. And my heart tonight is, Jesus, I want to please you. Jesus, with everything inside of me, I want to do what is pleasing in your sight. I want to be the Christian, the husband, the father, the mother, the pastor that you want me to be. And I want to be in perfect communion with my God. I want power. I want unction. I want wisdom from on high. I don't want to live a half-hearted Christianity that rides the fence of apathy. I want to be all in. And I want to be clean. But if our church is going to have power, if we're going to have what God has called us to be, the salt and the light that we need to be, we must be clean and live in the forgiveness of Jesus' authority. The same authority that Christ had in Capernaum to forgive the man who was sick with palsy is the same authority he has tonight to forgive you of your sins and for you to leave here a changed person. Every head bowed, every eye closed. A simple study that even a child can understand. But maybe you're here tonight and you know that you know that you know that you're saved. If that's you here tonight, you have complete and total peace that you're on your way to heaven. If Jesus were to come or you were to die tonight, you would spend eternity in heaven. If you know that's you, would you raise your hand? I have absolute security of my salvation. Amen. Is there anyone here tonight that says, Pastor, I am absolutely certain that there is something that's breaking fellowship between me and God. It's so petty and I've let it go for so long. I've got to get this right tonight and live in the authority of the forgiveness of Jesus. Is there anybody here tonight that says, that's me, Pastor. I have something in my life that needs to change. I see your hand. God bless you. I see your hand, ma'am. God bless you. I see your hand, ma'am. God bless you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Hands all over the building. Here's what we're going to do. If you raised your hand, there's something in your life you need to change. I know it's already 7.30. We're going to be good on time. Just come and pray. Let's stand all over the building. Ask God to touch our church, touch our lives individually. If you're here tonight and you're not saved or you're not sure you're saved, well, this would be a time to find out what it means to be forgiven by the love and by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If you're not saved here tonight, we'll meet you here in the altar. We'll take God's word and we'll show you. Brother Doug's gonna sing. Brother Josh is gonna sing. The altars are open. You come and pray. I've wandered far away from God. Now, 
that went up all over this building. I've got things in my life I need to change. You come. We'll help you pray. No one's going to come to you, embarrass you. If you can't come to the altar, come sit on one of these front rows. Let's pray, church. long I've tried. Lord, I'm coming home. Coming home. Coming home. Nevermore to roam. Use your word to inspect our hearts. Lord, inspect our hearts. Lord, I'm coming Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. Home. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy. God, tonight as we continue in prayer, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your grace. God, and your ability to forgive. Lord, I thank you for every person that's here tonight. God, every family that's represented, every person that's online watching tonight. God, thank you for them. Lord, I pray that the Christians in this room would leave tonight with boldness. God, that we would leave in the authority of the forgiveness given to us by Christ. God, tonight there are people that need a special touch from heaven. We pray that you would encourage their hearts Lord, I still believe in the capable hand of God to move in lives. God, I do not believe that there's anyone in this room that's too far gone for the mighty, far-reaching hand of God to reach into their life and to change big things. God, we still believe that you are a God that answers prayers that are decades old. God, prayers that are prayed by people who have already gone home to heaven that are still being prayed today. God, we pray that you'd hear those prayers. Give us the faith to believe big things, that you're able to do mighty works in our midst. Encourage your people. God, help us to live in the peace and the freedom of the forgiveness of Jesus. And Father, help us to be who you've called us to be. God, put a hate in us for sin and wickedness. Give us a boldness to stand up for righteousness. God, help the things of the world not to become half-heartedly accepted, but God, that we would wholeheartedly reject it and run to the truth of your word. Thank you for the truth of your word, the power and the authority of Christ's forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.